All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner. This is your favorite casual Hoya podcast. I'm Bobby Bancroft, and we are back with the Brackets crew, Howie Wachtel, John Hawks. Guys, it's been too long. What's up, man? What's up, Bobby? Love you, man. Hey, Bobby. Hey. Tell them, tell them where you're coming to us live from tonight. We are coming to you live from the auxiliary Kente Corner Studios inside my F-150 outside my house, which has no power. I want to make clear to the listeners that we're not all inside the F-150. <laughs> you could be. It's very spacious as long as, you know, there's, there's uh, the, you know, the uh, baby seat. But other than that, there's a lot of room and there's a bed. So, you know, it's great. Um, guys, so we're back again. It's the Bracket Crew. The casual Hoya madness and the sadness is into the final four, but we want to talk about the winners and particularly the tough losers in the elite eight. But before we get to that, it's been a while. I wanted to talk to a couple things real quick, just to kind of, just to kind of get up to date. Um, we're recording this on August 25th. What do you guys think? We think we're going to be a college basketball, some sort of a bubble. I think we're going to see non-conference. We're going to see conference games. I know that's a lot of information, but what do you guys feel right now? I'm thinking, I still feel like it's a long shot. What do you guys think? <laughs> Howie, go for it. I think we'll get basketball in January. I think we'll have a, yeah. I think we'll have conference. I think we'll have conference play. I think we'll have an NCAA tournament and you know, better it's better than nothing but as we've discussed before not exactly looking forward to going to the final four this year so i'm fine with a shortened season yeah um i guess i guess the last time we asked this question which was about a month ago i was pretty firmly in no we're not going to have a season um dan gambit apparently thinks that we're definitely going to have an ncaa tournament so maybe that carries some weight there's certainly a lot of money tied up in this um I just cut back from vacation in North Carolina. I don't know if you all know how the state of North Carolina's public universities are handling COVID-19. Uh, not well. Um, it's really bad I know now. that. Uh, I know that didn't today, NC State, they had to stop all their, they, or I'm sorry, pause, I, I believe was the word that they used. They're pausing all of their athletic activities at the moment. Yeah, I think UNC had done the same. Yeah, it, 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 it's not gone well. Um, for most of the big public universities that have opened up. Um, you're, you're probably, if, I, if we're talking about, is there going to be a college basketball season? Like, I think for all the schools that start bringing students back on the campus, that's not going to help things. Um, there's going to be clusters just about everywhere, I think. Uh, maybe the best hope is that, you know, we have seen in, the, in professional sports that, you know, bubbles can work and can be successful. Um, the question is, you know, how many conferences are willing to go through the logistics of it, right? So the Big East, you know, the rumors you hear about the Big East, they're considering places like IMG, Omaha. You know, that's one of the, you know, power six or so conferences in college basketball. How many conferences? You've already seen in football the FBS versus FCS divide, which is really a monetary divide between which conferences are willing to do this and not, to say nothing of the FBS conferences that have canceled over COVID concerns. You know, is the Sun Belt going to do a basketball bubble? for our conference season? You know, are they going to really be willing to go through the expense? I don't know. Does it seem like it's worth it? It, it, it? it still seems unlikely to me, but I think if it's going to happen, the bubble is probably how it's going to happen. Um, it would be really strange to come up with a format for an NCAA tournament only kind of thing. So I think you have to have at least conference seasons, but 
good luck. Yeah, I think that it makes sense to be like, okay, we're going to have a conference season starting in January. I think it probably makes more sense because, you know, based on, on the academic calendar is to probably try and squeeze as many games in as soon, you know, obviously every school has finals at a different time, but usually it's kind of early December, mid-December, I think at the latest. I think that you would try, I believe this is something Kevin Willard's kind of been, kind of been, you know, advocating for is to just try and play as many games as possible, basically what would be like in between semesters, right? Because you're kind of in, a, you're, I mean, if you're an athlete at that time, you're kind of in a bubble anyway, normally, like that's kind of like the normal routine, right? Like everyone goes home for a month, but you're still, you know, representing, you know, the college, um, you know, and then, you know, stretch that out how, how far you can in, into the spring. But I think, I think Dan Gavitt, and from what I've talked to other people, I haven't, I haven't talked to him, but it does seem like there has to be literally some form of an NCAA tournament, or we might see, and maybe some people will root for this, we might not see the NCAA, you know, continue to exist if they're, if, if they don't give TNT, CBS, some sort of inventory for a tournament this year. It could also push it back though. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the NBA season is probably, is, you know, is not going to begin uh, this next season until a few months later. So, uh, yeah. you know, they, they, if, if they need to, they could always push the NCAA tournament back to, to April. Hopefully by then we have, who knows? I mean, hope, hopefully in the next couple of months we have a vaccine. No one really knows. And then go from there. Yeah. If, I think you're rooting, I think the only. What's that? If you're, if you're um, rooting for, if you're, if you're rooting for a Big East bubble, what city are you rooting for? Here. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is, I mean, DC, I think still is DC still under the 14 day quarantine. If you come from elsewhere. It, there would be a lot of logistical efforts. I think it might be, I mean, I think it might be more likely to go somewhere like Orlando or IMG. That's, I mean, the wide world of sports is fairly isolated. You can pull it off. Um, I've, I've actually been to Omaha. Actually, downtown Omaha sets up pretty well to pull it off. There's several hotels down by where the uh, Creighton's Arena is, and it's attached to a convention center, and Creighton's campus is not that far away from downtown, so you theoretically pull it off. And I you know, I don't know what Nebraska's COVID numbers are. I can't imagine they're too high right now. But, um, you know, if you want to really isolate people. I actually love Omaha, but, yeah. I always think of Peyton Manning. <laughs> they actually have, when I went there the first time, this was about four or five years ago, they actually had a Peyton Manning, like, billboard in the Omaha airport. <laughs> they should. They should. They absolutely should. Um, so, yeah, so, no, I just want to, I kind of want to just, you know, get that elephant out of the room because every time you talk to someone it basically comes down to hey you think they're going to have games um it will be interesting if there's conferences that don't play i know this week the ap came out with a college football poll that included a lot of schools that aren't going to play and i believe that they're you know if the season does go on they're they're going to start taking them out but you know the idea of ohio state you know o and o from you know zero and zero and they're number two in they're number two in the uh, AP poll after a couple weeks. Um, Georgetown's not been in the AP poll since 2015. Um, if the Big East does play and other conferences don't, this could be a positive thing for the Hoyas. Although most prognosticators, every couple of weeks, it seems like a new, you know, there's a new Big East poll out and um, Georgetown's not near the top of that. But, uh, but yeah. The, the, so, one, the 
one thing that that's very exciting uh, that I'm most excited about is uh, if the season doesn't begin until January, then James Akinjo won't have to sit out any games for Arizona. So, you know, we're very fortunate that James Akinjo will have, you know, be ready to roll as soon as the season begins for Arizona. Looking forward to that. Terrific. Okay. So as the guy that tries to have an outline, your that comment is going to make me go off of it a little bit, but kind of, <laughs> kind of, kind of, kind of still connect. So Georgetown, you know, like, like all their schools have been offering, you know, recruits, 2022, 23, some 24s, which just blows my mind, but it is what it is. Normally when a recruit, you know, you're a recruit and Georgetown offers you, whether that's even true or not, that's a different debate. But let's say that you perceive that someone on the staff has offered you a scholarship. So then your next move as a 15 year old, 16 year old, whatever, is to go to Twitter and post about it. But they always take like a generic picture, you know, usually it's like, a full Verizon center with, you know, must've been the Duke game or a Syracuse game from years ago or something. And then they'll take a player. Right. And I, I can't remember who it was today, but whatever kid it was and God bless him. It's offered. It's, it's incredible. He got offered a scholarship at Georgetown. That's an incredible achievement. But then like his picture was like a Kinjo. You're like, ah. Would you have rather it been McClung? I mean, I, of course not. No, neither of those we, guys. We, We've, we've all been to the first page of the Google Images results for Georgetown. We know what's up there. But it's, I mean, and it's, and I'm not picking on this kid. And I'm sure, you know, you can figure it out. I, I really can't even remember who it was. Um, but you see it a lot, You'll, you, you know, and I think it was actually a picture of Akinjo and LeBlanc. So it was like, ah. <laughs> yeah. But you guys, you guys don't seem as uh, enthralled by that as me. It just, it, and, uh, and it's, it's often McClung too, okay? So <laughs> there's plenty of great Georgetown players that didn't leave to pick from, you know. But whatever, it's just something, something that's out there. I'll, I'll, Some, I'll, I'll care. I'll care if one of these guys commits. That's what I'll care. Okay. I'll I'll, I'll care that's, when the first one says he got a scholarship offer and posts a picture of Estrick doing the fifth. Look, my guy Estrick, man, it's my guy. Um. Speaking of coaches, this is a current current college coach. Um, the Sixers' job is open, and as you would expect, Jay Wright, Philadelphia's you know one of, one of their favorite sons at the moment, is getting rumored for that. Do we think he would leave to go to a place like the Sixers or any NBA job? Um, let me see. Let me see if I can do this like an expod. No. I think I think Mike Anderson is the oldest Big East coach, and then I think uh, I think Jay Wright and Ewing are both like I think they're both 58 or 59 or something. They're right, they're yeah. late late 50s, which seems to me a little bit late to do a career change. Um, but you know, and recruiting hasn't been a problem for Villanova, which would probably be the biggest reason why you would want to leave. Because I at some point, which we saw with Big John, when you get into your late 50s, recruiting is kind of a bummer, and people don't like to do it, and I totally understand why. But I have a hard time believing Jay Wright would leave. If he did leave, who's on your Villanova shortlist? Uh, who's on my Villanova shortlist? The last oh, time they had an opening, they went for a guy that was coaching at Delaware. I don't think if Jay, I think if Jay Wright leaves, they're not going to be no, plucking no, no, no. guy from no. Delaware, right? 
No, no, Jay came from Hofstra. Mike Bray came Hofstra. from Delaware. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Get Same your, difference, get old, kind of. Get your old CAA schools right. I'm a CAA guy. I'm a George Mason guy. I went to JMU guy. You're right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But I mean, right? I mean, like they're they're not going to be doing their fishing in the in you know the equivalent of the CAA, right? Probably not. No, you get uh, you, you get a you get a an old Villanova assistant to be one of the front runners. Yeah, I would think. what is it? Is it, is it Kyle Neptune as an assistant? Hey, Mike Nardi's on the bench. Why not? Why the hell not? We're doing a we're doing a bracket about the two thousand. I don't. Okay. I also. I don't think he's. I don't think he's leaving. I, you know, you you do it for two reasons: a new experience and and money. But he's he's already doing pretty well. I think. I think for him, I mean, not only does he have that close bond with the university, but he's won two national championships. That's that's pretty good. And if he can somehow figure out a way to get, you know, uh, one more. I mean, he's he's already in elite territory now, and. Um, yeah. He's dominated the Big East for at least the last five years, and so he, he, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's getting up that list. Yeah, I don't know. So, like, I don't know if the Sixers in 2020, whose current situation might be charitably described as awkward, is where you want to really go right now. Yeah, and plus, why would you want to coach the Sixers without Henry Sims and Hollis Thompson? You know. Ah, oh, thank you. That- that is a great point. Speaking of former Villanova assistants, based on what Chris Mullen did at St. John's, you know, Patrick Ewing's at Georgetown, if you're if there's some sort of pack that the, the big East schools that made the nineteen eighty five Final Four had that at some point they have to have like one of their best program players coach there. Ed Pinckney was an assistant with Villanova for a couple years. Mm-hmm. I think I think he was there for he was there before Jay Wright and I think he stayed on Jay Wright's staff and then he he was an NBA assistant until this past year I'm not sure what he did this year but I don't think he coached in 2019-20 um Ed Ed Pickney Sure if we're doing this fantasy why not <laughs> Yeah let's can, can we can we can find ways to prolong this conversation so we can talk about the guy who ruined hopes and dreams in 1985 and, and reminisce about the, the greatest years of Villanova basketball in the last five years. Well, Here, my short, my short answer is I hope they choose whichever coach ends up tanking the program and allowing Georgetown to finally regain its throne atop the conference. That's my view on that. My guess is Ed Pickney wouldn't be a great choice. So I'm, I'm sort of angling for that, but yeah, we can, <laughs> we, we can, we can definitely move, move along. Um, last thing here, I don't know if you guys have noticed, Howie, I think you're anti-Twitter, so this might be more of a John question. Georgetown has been rolling out these, like, one-minute videos for the freshmen. They did it for Jalen Harris, who's the grad transfer from Arkansas. I'm liking it. This is not something that I can always remember happening, and I know that Georgetown social media, I think, takes a fair bit of criticism, probably from people on this pod. Not always me, but sometimes me. So I think we have to give credit where it's due. I think that they're doing some things. I think, first of all, every time that elevator door opens in the recruiting yes. videos, I, yes. I expect like the blood from the shining to come pouring out or like Patrick Ewing dressed <laughs> as like a werewolf to be standing in the corridor or something. It's very strange. Um, I think, I think so. <laughs> I remember, I remember, I remember seeing, 
it's just a very strange setup, like the elevator door opening. <laughs> um, I think I've been in that elevator before. I don't know. Um, I, I think I remember seeing at the beginning of the, the summer that they have a, a social media intern this summer. So I imagine that's probably the work of the, the social media intern. Okay. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that, that, that tends to be, I, I think something I've noticed over the years is that Georgetown's like proficiency at social media tends to rise and fall with like whether they have a social media intern or somebody like on a work study job in the department at the time. Um, the same way kind of like promotions tend to rise and fall, give or take a Chris Grossi, right? So, you know, good on the good on the social media intern. No, I'm glad that they're doing the content. I'm not trying to be facetious here talking about elevators of blood, but um, <laughs> no, I mean, it's good on them. I, 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 I like I, I, it's, un, it's I like undoubtedly a positive. I like the I like the the shining reference, uh, even though I haven't bothered looking at these videos. But I like the idea of all work and no play. And here's Colin Holloway. <laughs> That's actually, I believe, the last video that that uh, they did. I think if it, I think if like if George if we did a Georgetown version of The Shining, will be written on the typewriter over and over again. It would just be like Derrickson for two exclamation point, like a tweet that they used to do. But. I actually. I know exactly what you're talking about, and for me, it's uh, it's uh, Jesse for two. It'd be oh. like you know, it was like you know, Villanova was winning like eighty-eight to fifty-six, and I'm like, go Van for two. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I loved the the video shorts they did in advance of like the China trip and the Italy trip. It was hysterical. Yeah, like Georgetown players learning to speak Chinese. Yeah, no, they did a lot of really good. Um, and I'm gonna totally blank on the guy. Oh. I'm mean, so like on the guy that went over there with them to China too, that was helping out with a lot of the videos. They did a lot of great content with players while they were over there too. I also, I did like well, when they went to Italy, when I don't know if it was the hoop club or the program or whomever would do like, they would basically like grab Rich Shabakin from like the bar in the hotel, I think, and throw him into like an easy chair in the lobby and like, Rich, talk about the game you just saw today. <laughs> it was very fun. I think I watched some of those games the last trip they went well, well i guess they went to jamaica but when they went to italy and was it was was it just italy or was it like italy and somewhere else it was just italy i feel like they played one game like maybe in like i don't know whatever somebody oh, all, you may be right. somebody yeah all there was well there was there was one game in i possibly switzerland oh yeah yeah oh by maybe. the way by the way the um the wrist like those like those lance armstrong bracelet things like what, what i don't know what yeah. they're actually made of um jt3 gave us those with italy on it before that trip and i'd worn mine off and on it broke the other day that's pretty yeah. uh pretty uh devastating um but i, I definitely I, remember i definitely remember watching some of those games on like periscope yes it was it was like mex carries or somebody's iphone they had on like a little tripod that they would just rotate back and forth yeah. And and I remember them being like steadfastly like not showing. They would like every game they would show like a little bit more. And I remember being really mad because like Marquette also went to Italy that summer I think. And Marquette just like came up with like a website or like a, 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 a online TV channel or something to just show all the games for their fans. And Georgetown was like, we're gonna give you a quarter and a half on Nexus iPhone and a tripod, and we're never gonna show you the fourth quarter. Eat it. <laughs> Yeah. So and I, 
that that was also when you're like, oh my god, this this kid Marcus Erickson can shoot threes. That was I think that was his first action on the court. I think I think especially it, the, the Bahamas trip, the other was that before this season or before this past season. I think that trip, if no other trip, it's like convinced us till the end of time. Never take any takeaways from a foreign trip. Like that Italy trip, that team was bad. The, the Bahamas trip, like all, all those things that looked good in the Bahamas did not pan out. Just no. Just like I gotta, the I, pictures of the players looking happy on the beach. The, the China trip, I, I will just say, especially now that we're a week after the Democratic National Convention, there was uh, uh, there was one night. I mean, well, actually, staying in the same hotel uh, and then appearing in in the gym that first night, which was the night before the brawl, were Joe Biden, JT three, and NY Hoya. That's awesome. Um, I'm really, I'm really, really jealous of that. Um, John, did I put up when I, when I was doing the artifact of the day, like earlier in the, the back in the spring. Did I ever put up the picture of the uh, the Washington Post front page that has the picture of the fight? I think so. I had to, I had to rescue that because it was in my, I, I, for whatever reason, I had it in my office. And so I eventually, like when I finally went back to to the office uh, a couple months ago, I grabbed the paper and I think I finally brought it home. I, maybe. I can't remember if I put it up or not, though. Gene, yeah, Gene, Gene Wong was there. Yeah, Gene was there. Yeah. You mentioned um, you, you mentioned Derrickson doing so well in Italy. If he if he wasn't hurt his freshman year, I think things would have gone differently. Hot take. Yeah, I think, I think that's probably right. Yeah. I also I I don't know if I can if I'll ever be able to find it. Um, I'm sure I have it somewhere, but I have footage from both of those games, the China brawl game, and then the one before the day before. Um, and it's, I never posted it, but I've got to find that and release it. Have, have the, have the Bay Bay rockets, the Bay rockets, however you say it, have they played a college team since then? <laughs> I can imagine probably not. Um, seems, seems like a bad idea. So do you, did you remember like, after after the team got back from China, like sometime later that summer, they put together like a half hour documentary they showed, I think on Masson, about the trip. Um, and yes. I, I mean, I, I, I've changed houses since then. There's no way I, I, I kept this on a DVR, even I like recorded it. I'm sure it exists somewhere. But I just remember watching the documentary, like, and you, you're watching this knowing like they're going chronologically. They're going to get to where the brawl happens. How are they going to cover the brawl? And it like, it just cuts from like, you know, the very like carefully managed, like official footage of like the videographer following the team around. Have you ever been to, have you ever been to a banquet? Yeah. (laughs) There's ways, there's ways around bad things. No, but like it cuts from like the official kind of videographer footage. And then like once the brawl starts, it's like all cell phone footage. And like, it's almost like they went to the soundtrack of like, Soft string music, like when a communist dictator dies and state TV cuts in, like it was very, very jarring and weird. And I loved it. Um, it was awesome. Those are those are those are great times. Um, speaking of great times, I hope everyone loves Kente Corner. Subscribe, rate us, make a comment. There's a lot of great comments, which is awesome i'm surprised it's weird on the internet for people to say nice things so it's really cool to see them from time to time and they are out there 
Um, speaking of that, Dog Talk, which I know we all love with our favorite 2000, what are they, class of 2008, I guess, like from high school, the 2000, yeah, in class of 2011 yeah. from Georgetown. Austin Freeman, Chris Wright, just real quick, you guys, I know, listen, what do we think about what's going on with uh, Dog Talk right now? All right, let me take this one. So I, I, I listen to Dog Talk religiously. I, lo- I love it so much. Um, I've, I've always loved uh, both the Chris Wright Heart of a Champion Award and Chris Wright himself. Um, it, it's, the show's been a little different in the last few weeks because Austin's been out and Chris has been running, running point, uh, which he prefers to do, I think. And, like, I got to say, like, I love the fact that Chris Wright's son's first words were Shabbat Shalom. Uh, I, I, I love, I love Jerome Williams just talking about bringing that smoke. Uh, you know, even though at his advanced age, it's got to be difficult for him to bring that smoke against, you know, kids in their mid twenties. Uh, I love hearing kind of the inside story on, you know, the Jesse Sapp, Chris Wright relationship and how, you know, they're good friends and that whole episode during the Duke game was sort of blown out of proportion. Uh, and then also kind of learning a lot about Jesse's sort of life story and how he had a really rocky time when he was at Georgetown, just went through a lot. Uh, and I love hearing what DSR is up to most recently. Um, those guys just got to work on their production quality a little bit. Uh, Jesse Sapp decided to walk through Howie, Howie. apartment buildings. Yeah. Howie, Bobby's in a gosh darn truck right now. I mean, Bobby sounds a lot better than than Jesse Sapp. I mean, Jesse Jesse like put the show on like a five. The Jesse Sapp interview was over three hours, which is almost ridiculous. <laughs> as, which oh, which God, is I, which is almost as ridiculous as me actually taking the time to listen to all three hours. <laughs> I mean, he was so walking I, I, through elevate like elevators, building, talking to friends, bringing people on, and yet I was just like, I kind of want to know what he thinks about that Duke game. <laughs> I, I'm a couple. I've not. I've, I'm behind because I just got back from vacation, so I haven't listened to the Jesse one or the Jagan one. I did not know the Jesse one was three hours long. Oh no. That's awesome. It's good. It's there's a lot of there's a lot of good stories, so it's it's worth listening to. But they're doing a good job with it. I just. My the, my one piece of constructive criticism, other than trying to improve the production quality and just make sure guys are, you know, in a quiet location, is they got to do more to sort of reminisce about some of their favorite games, and they they've done that with uh they they've done that with certain guys. I'm trying to think of uh, with Greg. I'm trying to think. They they did it with Greg. They did it with a few players. They recently did one with someone who went through sort of his top five best, top five best wins. Um, I I wish they would do more of that because I mean, just for us as fans, like we, we obviously have our memories and recollections and it'd be great to know, you know, what the player's favorite memories are. Um, So that would be interesting. Yeah, it's, 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 great like peak pandemic entertainment because I know I know Chris and Austin often talk about the origin story of why they started doing it and it has, it has to do with Max McClung and the comment about not feeling the family atmosphere at Georgetown but it feels like in some way just one of those things where people were bored during the beginning of the pandemic and they said you know what let's just throw our iPhone on or get like 
a podcast microphone and call some guys we know and just talk and hang out and we'll put it online and see if anybody cares. Like, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't have any illusion that this is going to last beyond, like, when Chris Wright goes overseas for his next season. But, like, for the – as something to listen to and, like, kind of reminisce about during a time when we're not doing a whole lot, it's perfect. I love it. I will listen to Henry Sims read the phone book for two and a half to three hours. Would you yeah. listen to Nikita Masherikov read the phone book? I, I would, I would give it a shot. I would give that it was, a shot. It's funny you mentioned that. it was Jesse Sapp, by the way, where they did the top five at the tail end of the three hour saga, but Nikita's name came up and, and Jesse <laughs> sort of, and Jesse was like, you know, it was one thing to be benched when, when Jesse was a senior and he, he talks about, talks about that, but it's another thing to, to be benched for Nikita. And he just felt like that was a huge, you know, punch in the gut. Yeah, I think, you know, I think we're unfortunately going to have a lot more podcasts to do that don't talk about actual games, right? Like actual, you know, competition, Georgetown played, UMBC, whatever. Um, I think that the end of that season, or maybe it was more like the middle to the end, did did Omar Watad ever start a game or two? I think he did. Yeah, he so it just seemed like he didn't. Okay. No. I'll have, to, I'll have to look. I feel like he might have one or like one or two times, but it's it's definitely not a lot. But Nikita got a decent amount of starts. I feel like maybe like close to ten, and it did seem like what in the world? This is Jesse Sapp started on a team, you know, that went to the Final Four, started on a team that was ready to go to another Final Four, that went through the Big East and all that stuff, and, and then it's like, you know, he's not he's not even playing that much. He's not starting, and you know, so I wonder. It's one of those things where. JT3 felt that there was no bench scoring, and he's like, who could I put on the bench that I know is going to score? Okay, I trust Jesse. But the player has to be able to understand that that's what's going on and be very, very, very selfless. And, you know, it's not easy, right, as a senior. And you, know, and you feel you're better than that guy. But, yeah, I think of all the decisions that were made, starting Nikita for a decent amount of games is just, like, puzzling. And you have to wonder, hey, Austin, Chris, was he just like lights out in practice? Like, did he never miss at McDonough? Like what was going on that was like, this is the guy I want to start. <laughs> I think, I think Nikita went to high school with Chris Wright. Didn't he also go to yeah, St. John's? Did. Yeah. 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 yeah when are we interviewing Nikita? Why don't you get on that? I get on that. I mean, I don't think he's going <laughs> to, he's going to like me. Hey, Nikita, why in the world were you starting? <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, dog talk. Um, I haven't had a chance to listen to a lot of uh, locker room with uh, with Trey and uh, Gene, but I know that they keep uh, putting out the content. So it's still the uh, the golden age of Georgetown Hoyas basketball content, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm still in my truck. Everything's still working. The lights in my house are on my and, and on my block are still completely dark, except for this one guy that's flexing with his generator. I'm pretty uh, jealous about that right now. But uh, we have the sadness and we have the madness brackets. Let's talk about the sadness and let's talk about the team that we or the game that we think was maybe hard done by. Howie, do you want to say which teams are in the final four? Do you have the um, oh the, the teams in the final four? Yeah. So the 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 sadness final four is 
we've got the Davidson loss in 2008 okay. versus the Florida Gulf Coast Gulf Coast loss in 2013. And then we have the Ohio loss uh, in 2010 against the West Virginia Big East Tournament final loss, also in 2010. And so that the, West Virginia loss is the only one seed, or I'm sorry, it's the only non-one seed that made it to the final four. Yeah, like very chalky only, bracket. Yeah. Very, very chalky, almost by design. <laughs> almost by design, yes. Yeah, and I think I think voting for the sadness bracket for one of the matchups started today. If I'm not mistaken. Okay. I think I saw the tweet go up today. So, I'll just I'll I'll give you my opinion first about which I which bracket I think was the toughest. I think there's two, and obviously there is. You know, it's sort of like how you feel as a person, or like how did it affect you, and then you try and negotiate that with the importance of the game and you take away whatever personal feelings you had and try and try and get them lined up a little bit. I think that I totally understand Gulf Coast. I was there. I mean, that was just like, oh my God, like this is an embarrassment to a team that like, what is this like a NAIA school? You know, I get that. And that was that, that's, that's kind of basically where I think most people that aren't, you know, newer Georgetown fans. I think if, you, if, if you've, if you've been a fan long enough, that's where you kind of feel like that's where JT three lost the program. And, you know, it took a couple years after that, but that's where it was kind of lost. But like the Florida Georgetown game that it beat. And I, I, don't, I don't even think it was close. I think that that game for me, at least I thought at that point that Georgetown team was rolling. I loved Ashante cook. I loved Brandon Bowman. I loved Daryl Owens. You knew the other guys were going to be back. Um, and at that time, it was like, man, you know, of all the of all the teams left in that tournament, it did seem already at that moment, damn, Florida is like the best team left. And Georgetown's playing really well, but they had to play Florida. And the fact that it came down to the end and Owens misses a three and you want Owens to take the three, that loss to me, like as a fan, really, really hurt. But I totally get why Gulf Coast is – the tougher loss. Like I, I, I totally get it. But for me as a fan at that, in, in that moment, and I don't think I'm like a biased fan where like, I'm like, Oh, I think they're always gonna make the final four. That, that, that team really felt like it was kind of rolling, particularly after the, after the Ohio state game. And even after the big East tournament, you know, like, I felt like that 2016 was really good. And I guess I just, I loved those, those seniors. Yeah. So, well, so I guess, Bobby, I don't know if Bobby explained this. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the ga- the the the, mat- the games that did not make it out of the Elite Eight in each bracket. So as Bobby said, the Florida Georgetown game in 2006 lost to FGCU. That's that's a bad match. That's a tough matchup. Or even, um, yeah. or even any team any team in, in the sadness or madness bracket that you felt should actually be in the Final Four. So even if they didn't lose that, I mean, maybe they just had a, they ran into a tough matchup along the way, but. You know, there could be games that where the team you thought should be in the Final Four was eliminated even sooner than the Elite Eight. But yeah, that's, that's a good one. For the most part, for the most part, I think like the teams, the games that made the Elite Eight, and the, even the Elite Eight was pretty chalky. There were a couple three seeds in there. I think the games that made the Elite Eight are probably the right ones in both of the brackets. Um, of, of the of the four sadness games that that lost in the Elite Eight. Um, the Florida game is probably the one I would make the strongest argument for being at uh, one of the four worst losses. Um, you know, 
this is an interesting question. To me, in the JT3 era, there are two, the two greatest what ifs. And one of them is not Josh Hart versus Reggie Cameron. Um, the two greatest or what Domingo. Ifs are, no, yeah, right. Or Domingo or Chris James or whatever. Um, the two greatest what ifs are, are this game. What happens if Daryl Owens hits the three-pointer? Because I've had lots of conversations from people who were in school, and I knew at that time that, that you know, you play in the Elite Eight against Villanova, who was really good that year. But, you know, that's, I mean, it's not the – it's doable. You know, and then your final four games against George Mason, like how far could that team have actually gone? Oh, my um, God. And, 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 and I know I'm going to – I know I'm, I'm interjecting, but – the play where, like, was it, is it, is it Bowman and is it Corey Brewer? Like, how did that yeah. ball go in? How is it a foul? Like, what, what the fuck? It, it seems, I think people, oh, I, oh, like, it's not the easiest shot in the world. I think people treat it like he, like, closed his eyes and threw the ball behind his head. Like, it's still, it's a tough shot, but it's, it's a bad beat for sure. Yeah, it's tough. And Bowman had actually missed a layup on the previous possession that, like, would have put us up, I think, three at that point. Yeah. Um, it's really tough. You know, that, that, that one of the reasons I don't, the, the argument that you, it, it's a great what if, the other, the other what if, by the way, is one of the games in the final four and the other bracket is what if Jeff Green doesn't make the shot against Vanderbilt. Um, but yeah, like I, I remember, you know, maybe one of the arguments for not making this one of the final four sadness games is this game was upsetting, but like in a good kind of way, almost like you felt, you felt sad rather than angry. Like so many times Georgetown loses in the tournament and everybody gets is really angry because they screwed something up really badly. This was just a really close, really tough game. A team that people really loved just barely didn't win. And there's a lot of what if, what could they have done if they had won the game? But I'm not angry about this game. Like it's just, oh darn, you know? Yeah. This this game, I mean, this this was all gravy. I mean, so a couple of weeks before we had that devastating loss in the biggest tournament to to Syracuse but this is you know this is the same week, same year of the Duke win uh this team got so much better in the second half of the season and we had that absolute you know domination of Ohio State in the second round of the tournament what 70 to 52 or whatever the score was um you know which was Roy Hibbert's breakout game and you're kind of like damn like this this team is I mean we knew Ashanti was good we knew Bowman you know, was the leader of that team. And then Jeff Green had already had his breakout performance against Duke and was solid the rest of the way. And and then Hibbert having a breakout game, you're like, this is this this team is solid. Now look at look at Florida's run to the title that year. The only close game they had was against us. I mean, so to me it was everything was gravy at that point. So there was a sense of disappointment, but it was almost like disappointment slash pride. Um you know, there was, and there was definitely a part of me that was kind of like, what if we had a chance to play Villanova? We, I don't think we'd beaten him, beaten them that year, but we would have faced them uh, again and uh, definitely could have given them a fight. And, you know, and then you start, start projecting out after that, but it, it, it wasn't, it was such a successful year. Um, and it was, you know, it was the year we had waited, like the, the going to the sweet 16 for the first time since 2001, was really nice. This was the first great season we had um, in, I, I, you know, probably before 2001. I mean, since some point in the mid-90s, it just felt really good. Uh, and the expectation was that the trajectory would continue, and it did continue. 
So, so how somebody mentioned the, the, the Syracuse loss in the Big East tournament that year, that's also one of the three, eight games in the sadness bracket that didn't make it. So does anybody want to make an argument that that should be in the final yes. four? Okay. I, I, I've, I've, so I've, I mean, I've talked about this uh, ad nauseum already, but having been to both that game and the West Virginia and the West Virginia loss, I, look, it's a, it's a toss up uh, in, in my mind. They're, they're very, very close, but, I, I mean, look, the the it, it's the same sort of feeling. Like the 2000, the 2010 revenge tour. It had been such an up and down season, and and you know, finding out Austin has diabetes, and it was just, you know, all of a sudden Chris Wright's on fire in the tournament. Like it, it was just such an incredible year to watch, <laughs> to watch basketball as a Georgetown fan with the ups and downs. But the way we took care of business in those first three games of the tournament. And then to play on Saturday night against a West Virginia team who just crushed us a few weeks back when we didn't have Austin and to hang in there and have a, have a chance to win it at the end. But for that ridiculously improbable Deshaun Butler shot, all of that was, all of that was terrible. But again, it was sort of like disappointment because you felt bad for the players and, but also pride that we had battled back and we'd beaten number one seeded Syracuse. We'd gotten revenge against, uh, Marquette uh, and and South Florida like and, and also you're sort of like it doesn't matter because we're gonna end up being like a three or four seed in the tournament and this team could go to the final four so we were upset but it wasn't you know the it, I, I don't know I, the the Syracuse law I, I think look and and most people will, will, are are sort of more more angered by that loss than than the Syracuse loss in the Big East tournament but for me. I know we had, in 2013. I know we had already defeated Syracuse twice that year, both games in like game historic, in like dramatic short. fashion. Um, but to the way that year was going, I just I hated those teams so much who left the conference: Pittsburgh and Syracuse, uh, you know Notre Dame. I wanted to go out on a high note, especially against Syracuse. And so for their fa- like just being around their fans and having to, you know, sort of like deal with, you know, we closed out the conference with a win. You guys didn't. You thought you did last week, but now we're closing it out. And to just lose that game in dramatic fashion in overtime uh, and and just having to watch some just crazy. I've also mentioned this a bunch of times, but when when Markel Starks fouled out in overtime, just go watch that. And and like it's an absolutely like terrible call and kind of sunk us at the end. I just I hate I hate everything about that so much. And for as much as I love Requiem for the Big East, you know the fact that they center on the Georgetown Syracuse Big East tournament game to like sort of frame that whole documentary, uh, in part because it's made by a Syracuse guy, continues to piss me off. So again, I know like the West Virginia game, you know we were going to have a tournament the following week and we were going to be a really high seed. And the same is true in 2013, even after we lost to the Syracuse in the Big East tournament. But I just, I, the pit in my stomach after that loss was greater than the pit in my stomach after the West Virginia loss. Yeah. So you went, you went to 2013. There's actually two Syracuse Big East tournament games in the Elite Eight over here. The 2013 one, which is the semifinal, and the 2006 one, which is also semifinal. Well, I'll say about the 2013 one, I, I, I'm not really going to make a compelling argument. I think it's, I don't think it's one of the four worst ones. I will say the one thing about the game, it's largely forgettable to me, honestly. 
Um, but the one thing about the game that really annoys me to this day is that CJ Fair shot three for 16 in that game. And yet to this day, anytime a Syracuse fan wants to make a point to a Georgetown fan, they'll just tweet a picture of CJ Fair dunking on auto floor in that game. Like, and it's like, oh, I guess, yeah, that argument's over. Like, yeah, I guess that game, one thing you can say about that game is it's the one where I guess like the, if there even was a cloak of invincibility around that 2013 team, it sort of popped. Like it's the canary in the coal mine in the same way the 2008 pit loss was. But, yeah. So what about the what about the 2006 semifinal in the Big East tournament? So I think I think the I think why that one really stings. And you know what's you know obviously it was a different era. And when you look at all these scores, they all kind of they're all very similar, right? Like the Florida Georgetown game, 57-53. Um, the overtime game we were just speaking about, 58-55. And all the games that year in the Georgetown-Syracuse game were low scoring. West Virginia is 60-58. They all sort of have that that theme, right? And the 2006 game is 58-57. The difference between that game and some of the other games, Georgetown was up 15 at the half, right? And, you know, at some point when you don't score over 60, you leave yourself open for an upset, for a comeback, right? Like, you've got to get to, like, I think at one point I had the stat, like, when JT3 teams got to, like, 68 points, his record, at least up until, like, 2015, was, like, really, really good. Um, you, you can't be up 15, and then you, you only end up maxing out at 57 points. So I think that game was frustrating because did they try and kill it too quick? You know, I mean, even at the end of the game, Georgetown was still winning. Like, like Syracuse wins, like, right at the end. You know, and they don't even get to 60 points. When we talked about this game on a previous podcast, one of the things I pointed out was that uh, the end of the game, the last 13 seconds, was the only time Syracuse led. Yeah. I mean, you know, and that's why, and I know that, that, that this game we're talking about loses to the Davidson game. And what's different about that Davidson game, and I know, you know, I was there and it was devastating, all that stuff, is Georgetown offensively played really, I mean, they turned it over, okay, so that's obviously offense, but, like, they scored 70. They shot 63% from the field. Like, if you, if, you know, if you put that 70 points up against any of those Syracuse games, the West Virginia game, the Florida game, that's what's so mind-boggling. And I guess the Ohio game is kind of the same way. They have they have some points there, too. Um but it's like they actually like they were actually, you know, I don't know that that's what's so crazy about that game. And I think you'll never see a game where a two seed shoots 60 percent and loses, blah, blah, blah. But like all these other games, it's like, look, if you can't score more more than 60, you're just setting yourself up for, you know, possible heartbreaks. Right. That, you know, the, the, the 2006 Syracuse loss was just so unusual because, you know, like you said, there were really only a few times where a JT3 coach team squandered yeah. a 15 point or higher. You know, like literally, I think it's only happened. I think I mean, it's two. certainly happened. Uh, few, well, I mean, the, the Dave, Davidson and, and Syracuse in terms of postseason games. But I think it. Yeah. we also suffered through something. No, I mean, there was the Xavier loss at Xavier uh, oh, yeah. where we were yeah. up significantly and there there was and also there um there there was also another one of those uh 
might have even been DePaul where we're up double figures in one of those uh one of their wins against us. But yeah, but it's only happened like five times where we squandered a fifteen yeah. point lead with the JT three coach team. So in that in that game in particular, what's so brutal is we outplayed them basically the whole game. I mean we lost because we had seventeen turnovers and we missed free throws. Also uncharacteristic. Like Jeff Green, Brandon Bowman, Roy Hibbert. Roy Hibbert was something – no, yeah, here. Roy Hibbert was one for four from the line. Um, it's That's how we lost. Just just little – Ashani Cook had five turnovers. Um, it, it was it, – and you're right. It was a brutal loss. Um, I, I don't know why – you know, I don't know why it doesn't – for me, I don't know why it doesn't feel worse, and I still hold on to 2013 more. Um, but – Two other quick, hey, no. two other quick things. What's that? No, go ahead. You got two quick. Go ahead. Just, just two, two other quick things about 2013 that just, I, I was just thinking about this. Like, so our, our leading scorer in that game was Mikael Hopkins. Talked about this before, but just pointing out again at how strange that statistic was of all the guys so they, that are leading scorers, they, Mikael I'm Hopkins. Sorry. He did. He, he, he did. He, I mean, his, his plan. He. To Bayheim's credit, he had different defensive strategies for us in all three of those matchups. The first two did not work, and the third one was basically to move the back end of that zone up and force guys to beat us from behind and just sort of challenging Lubick and Hopkins to do work from behind the zone, and Hopkins was getting his. But but anyway, the other thing, and this this is just, just pissed me off throughout the entire year, James Sutherland hit four threes in that game. Syracuse went on a big run, I think, at the end of the first half or the beginning of the second half. Sutherland, Sutherland hit a few big, you know, a couple of big threes during that stretch. James Sutherland, this is the season where it came out that people were writing exams for him, like he should have been kicked <laughs> off the team. And this is the same season where Greg Whittington was kicked out of our program. And here we are, like, doing what we did, getting that one seed without one of our best players on the team. And James Sutherland is there hitting huge shots for his team and beating us in the biggest tournament. I still, I, I can't get over that. Now, they ended up getting crushed by Louisville, right? They, they ended did, up yeah. squandering, squandering a big lead to Louisville and then losing. Oh. So that made it kind of nice. Yeah, okay. So I was trying to remember, like, I was going to, in my brain, I was going through, like, was, did Syracuse win a Big East tournament after 2006? I don't. No. But in my in my brain, if they did, it would have been like 2009, maybe, unless they won it in 2012. I don't know if they did. Like, what was the year of the the, the six overtime game? 2009. I think they lost in the final that year. And I think 2012. I want to say Louisville won it in 2012. So I think 2006 might have been Syracuse's last biggest title tournament. Well, if. If my power was on, I'd be looking at my laptop, but I'm going to be honest, I'm too scared to touch my phone that it's going to like, <laughs> it's going to ruin this, uh, this uh, recording of, uh, of a uh, greatness. So, so anyway, the, the last, the last of the elite eight ones, we don't go too long on this. The last of the elite eight uh, sadness games was the final four game against Ohio state. I, I see I, I, this game for whatever reason has never bothered me that much. I think like we collectively were, like denied or deprived of a, a, a good matchup because of the officiating wasn't that great. And Greg Oden and Ray Hibbert both didn't play very much. And Jeff Green acknowledges that for whatever reason, he can't explain he had a really terrible game. So I, I, I treat it as like, I mean, 
it wasn't it didn't live up to what the game could have been but like i don't know necessarily that georgetown got cheated in any way there was no like the fair like big blown lead like ohio state was probably equal or a better team so it's just like yeah like at the end like leaving the game like talking to people i was there with like eh, you know what like it was a great run you know we probably got about as much out of this as we could like i'm not really upset about it so you know i really want i really want florida again yeah yeah revenge against florida would have been nice I wanted Florida. In my, in my heart of hearts, I would love to have had. I would love to have played Florida again. In my heart of hearts, I, I don't think anybody was beating that 2007 Florida team. I, the, 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 the final four, the final national championship game was not even remotely competitive. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'd love. I mean, we were the ones who gave them a good game the previous year, so maybe we would have been the ones that, that year too. But exactly, know, exactly. Like literally, and like, and like, they won. You know. 12 tournament games back to back and they had like one game that came down to the end. That was, that was Georgetown sweet 16. that we've already talked yeah. about. I think though that, you know, basically in that, in that postseason, and I'm, I'm going to include the big East tournament. You kind of have Jeff green, Notre Dame, Jeff green, and you've got Ohio state, Jeff green, right. They're completely mm-hmm. different, you know? Yeah. And I'm not saying that like, Notre Dame Jeff Green is something that you can produce like on a consistent basis, but something a little bit closer to the middle. And I think that you can you can beat you can beat Ohio State. And that's not even factoring in Dwan Summers going. I think I think Dwan Summers is one for ten. Yeah. You know, so both those things happened and they still were kind of hanging around. Um John, I don't want you selling that team short against Florida. I don't want you rolling over. I don't want it. No, I'm not. I'm not rolling. Over. I'm just acknowledging, like, in, in my, you know, in my head. I don't. I don't know why I make the leap with the 2016 playing Villanova and not this, this that next year's team playing Florida. It's fascinating. Somehow, just in my head, it's not as big a what if as some other ones. And yeah. which, which which one of those games was the closest in the in the online voting? In the sadness. I don't remember. I mean, West Virginia, Syracuse was yeah, not a blowout. Yeah. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad I brought that up then, since none of us know. Um, do we want to move on to the fun bracket? Yes, yes fun times. What, so what's the final four in the fun was, bracket? I, I think it's all chalk. Yeah, yeah. So you've got yeah. you've got Georgetown beating Duke in 2006. That is Georgetown's back. They beat number one. The other Final Four team, Georgetown, beating North Carolina, routing them in overtime even, almost getting 100 points, 2007. You've got Georgetown beating Vanderbilt the game before that to get to the Elite Eight, the Jeff Green game winner. Some people think it's a travel, but they need to just pound sand. And Georgetown beating Syracuse in what we all thought at the time was the last Georgetown-Syracuse game in Big East history, that 2013 game where the score doesn't even look, you know, 61-39. It, does, it just doesn't even resemble a basketball score. So, like, so the Elite Eight games that did not make it. So the first one of these is 2008, Georgetown beating UConn, the Roy Hibbert three-pointer game that we've talked about a few times on the podcast. Um, I would argue it's fine that it's in the Elite Eight. I'm, it was actually, it was a three-seed, so it beat some other 
better seated team to get into the Elite Eight here. Um, it, I, I'm fine with it being here. It's really, this game is really about that single play. I think it's probably, I've mentioned this before, I think it's probably the, one of, if not the loudest reaction at the Verizon Center to any single play that I've seen. But it, I think in the JT3 era, it's probably the third most important play, the third best play if you were to rank them behind Jeff Green's shot against Vanderbilt and Jay Wall's three against UNC. And those two games are in the final four, so it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, to me, the only game I think chalk makes sense for for the Final Four in the Madness bracket. I think the only game that that you know I think deserves another look and might have crept snuck into the Final Four if it had been in a different region was Georgetown's win over Syracuse in the 2010 Big East tournament. Uh, that's the you know, the quarterfinals of the 2010 tournament. So that's the, in the middle of that revenge tour, um, that game, I was at that game, uh, you know, it was noon at the garden. Um, probably, probably my, I mean, probably the, the best game, the best Georgetown game I've seen at the garden. I mean, it was just absolutely electric. This is the one where, uh, Chris Wright just, puts the team on his back and has a ridiculous afternoon, 27 points, six rebounds, six assists. Uh, and Oh, by the way, we also had Greg Monroe on the team with 15.7 assists, three steals. Like hey, it, they, that Syracuse team, which, you know, went on to be a one seed in the NCAA tournament and, and, you know, won the regular season of the conference. That was one of Syracuse's best teams of that decade. That was a really good Syracuse team. Um, you know, Wes Johnson, Scoop Jardine, Anuaku, Chris, uh, you know, Rick Jackson. I mean, they had, they had a lot of Andy Routens. They had a lot of talent on that team, Brandon Trish. And we, we had a hell of a game. We, and we scored, I think like 50 plus points, 54 points in the second half, which was unheard of in the JT3 era. And it was really, uh, it was just really fun to watch. And the garden crowd too. I mean, you had, Obviously, half the crowd there was, was pulling for Syracuse and everybody else. Was, um, you know, you had fans of other teams pulling for Georgetown, too. And when the tide started to turn midway through the second half, half and it seemed like a possibility, um, you know, it's great. Excitement about playing on, you know, moving on and playing Friday night at the Garden, all of that, getting revenge against yeah. your biggest rival. And it, it was it, That is one of the most electric games I've been to that I can remember. I'm glad you. I'm glad you were there because I'm glad we got that sort of perspective on it. Like it's it's a really fun game, um, and I'm glad we have like games that are just kind of fun for the sake of of fun. It was really it was one of the cooler like random things that happened during the pandemic when ESPN ESPN's family was showing a lot of old college basketball games. They randomly showed this game I think twice during the middle of the afternoon on like a weekday a couple months ago, and it was really random. So, oh my gosh, they're showing yeah. that game. Um, yeah. I haven't seen it in like 10 years. Um, this game, the, the, the good sign of how fun this game was and how cool it was is that I actually was working that day, this being like, I think it was a Thursday afternoon. Um, Loser. Uh, you know what? Look, I was, I was younger earlier in my career. Less vacation you have time. To, how could you possibly have been, wor- how could you have done anything? How could you have accomplished anything during that time? It was a long, tense day. Um, All right. I, I, All right. 
that I, I did I did listen to I listened to about the first uh, eight to ten minutes of the first half on the radio like during my lunch break, and then I had to go back to work, and I was out later in the day um, with some colleagues from the office, and I accidentally spoiled myself for the result because as much as I was trying to not look at and it was in a place where there was going to be like TVs around like around as much as trying not to look at TVs. I accidentally looked to my right in a place where I didn't expect there was ever going to be a TV in like a storefront. And I caught ESPN like interviewing Austin Freeman, like on the court. And like, as much as I tried to block it, Oh, I don't know what that means, whatever, whatever. Like, I know, like they're not going to interview players in the losing team. And I still somehow like was convincing myself, like maybe they didn't actually win. And so I watched the game, like trying to convince myself, Oh, they're never going to win this game. And so it was actually a little bit still surprising when they said, wow, geez, they actually did this. Um, yeah, um, I think I've been I, I think I've been finding ways to get out of either school or work since like, uh, well, since like the early '90s when Georgetown has a game in the Big East or the NCAA tournament. So yeah, I mean, like it, the I I had, I had switched careers. Uh, let's see, like right after the 2000, right after the Final Four season. So I was still like earlier in my career, I still didn't have like the vacation time built up, and I would always save my va- like. I would always save a set of vacation time for the first weekend of the tournament. I still do that to this day. I always take the first week of the NCAA tournament off and just sit somewhere either on vacation or at home watching games. But I wasn't, I wasn't there yet. Um, okay. I chose to, I chose to go to Providence that year for the NCAA tournament, folks, folks. Can I tell you today on Facebook, a memory came up for whatever reason I posted the picture. Cause obviously the NCAA tournament does not happen in August. Although maybe maybe next year's one will. Yeah. Um, there's a picture of me, one of my buddies from college. I went to JMU, and he's from the Boston area. He met me up there, and it's a picture of us at I think the bar was Trinity. I think it was the mm-hmm. Hoyt Hoop Club pregame spot. And I'm wearing all my Georgetown gear. I got like a sweatshirt. It's like a hat, um, a t-shirt, and it says like, and I'm like, you know, I'm sitting there drinking a beer, smiling. And it says, like, this guy had no idea what was in store for him yeah. in a couple hours. That popped up on my on my on my memories today. And it was just like, cool, cool. So I'm going to argue for the 2007 Big East Tournament final that the Georgetown yeah. won. This is this is personally my my personal favorite game um, for a lot of reasons. Like and and. It's it's, an, it's the most fun I've ever had at a game too. Um, there's there's a whole I think I've told the story before. There's a whole day that goes through this. Like I woke up like I had to go to work. Like I was still working my my job at the GW bookstore. Like I was it was right before I was I quit like two months later right before I transitioned careers. So I was fully in like I don't give a crap anymore mode. But had to work on a Saturday. I told them like hey like I told them hey if this happens on Saturday I'm going up to New York. So I need to leave to catch the train by like, I think two o'clock. So I worked, I woke up like seven o'clock, worked like four or five hours. They would like, they were really rigid about not letting me leave early, even though the store was totally empty. Like I literally got to Union Station and it's one of those like things in a stupid movie where like you're running like with your bag in your hand. It's like the train's leaving the platform and you're trying to catch up. Like it was literally what was happening to me. Um, and I went up there, it was the first time I'd ever been to New York City. First time I'd been to a Big East tournament game. Um, <laughs> I remember we were. If you went to Cafe Thirty One after that, you know, it was a great time there. We were. I remember daylight savings time hit while we were in Cafe Thirty One, so I think we closed the bar at like three or four in the morning. Um, I'd been up for like twenty 
three or 24 hours or some crazy amount of hours straight at that point. Um, I think I, I might've been there. We were talking to Jeff Green's mom. I, you, you're probably in the background of some of my pictures. I have pictures of me and Jeff Green's mom. There you go. Yeah. No, <laughs> it was, it was it, this, you, you, I, I cannot tell you how much fun that entire day was getting to do that. Like, I, like I've been to New York a few times since then, but like that, that being your first introduction to New York city proper, like, even though it's like a little tiny part of midtown, it's not representative at all. It still it holds a lot of good memories for me. And I mean, not to un- underline this, it is right now still the only Big East tournament final Georgetown has won in three decades. I think the problem with the game is that it's not interesting. Like, like, no, like, the act- it's not. like the win, the win, as you said, means so much for the program. Like that's yeah. a big deal, right? And, I say, you know, yeah, I will say, I, I, have, I haven't watched the game in a long time. I have it on DVD. When I do watch it, I only watch the first half. There's no greater feeling, though, than being in an important game like that and having it sewn up by halftime so you don't have to stress at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's – I would argue that game, if it, if it went up against the Georgetown-Syracuse game from 2013, I think that, that, that it would probably advance over that I game. It, it took, I, was it up against the UNC game or the Duke game? Because whichever it's one a, it was up against, it took like It's up against Duke. It took 25% from the Duke game, which I thought was pretty remarkable. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's all about, like, the Duke, you know, it depends on, like, what do you believe in? Do you believe in, like, things that you can't quantify? Or do you believe, you know, so, like, obviously yeah. winning a oh. Big tournament's a big deal. Yeah. But, like, it's hard to tell, you know, the revival of Georgetown basketball without starting at the at that Duke game, even though it starts when, with, yeah, when, we, when we do the Final Four, when we do the Final Four and probably ultimately the, the finals podcast with, I got some thoughts on the Duke game and this very topic. So, I'll say about mm-hmm. it. Teaser. The, the last, the last of the four lead eight games to close this one out was the um, the win over Syracuse in February 2013 at the Carrier Dome, the Otto Porter game. I have a stat line: 33, eight and two with five steals, which I think is the best single game performance of the JT3 era, and maybe the best in the 20 years I've been watching the program, give or take a Mike Sweetney game against Syracuse. Um, Notre it was Dame. at the time. Yeah. It was at the time the largest on-campus crowd to watch a basketball game. That record's since been broken, but it was a pretty significant thing at the time. It is. It was for a regular season game that ultimately, like, was still in February. I don't remember being nervous as nervous for a regular season game watching it on TV as I was for that game, for whatever reason. Like, it was really tense. Um, and it was a grinder of a game, but yeah. It was, it was, it's, it's a great individual performance. The game, I mean, it's a grinder of a game, I guess. Like, I'm fine with it being an Elite Eight game. Um, I wish it was on YouTube. It's not on YouTube as far as I know. I'd love to watch it again. I, I'd love to see Gulf Coast try to win that game. <laughs> it's the yeah, best. I mean, it's, try it's, to win in that pro- fashion. it's probably the, the best, either the best or second best road win in the last, 10 years, 15 years. Yeah. You know, I, I think yeah. the, the, the only other one that comes to mind is when we won at UConn at the end of 2008, the last yeah. game of 2008. That was, that was, that's, I was going to bring that up at some point. That's probably like, like the, that half. I wonder if is that the best first, like that first half of that game, is that the best half of basketball you ever seen Georgetown play? But like that, the Duke game, but, but, is, but, the first half of the Duke game is up there too, but. 
But again, that Syracuse game, 2013, Syracuse had announced they're leaving the conference. We had started out so poorly in conference play. Then we lose Greg Whittington, and and then we go on this like majestic run. And this game was right in the middle of that run, and we didn't expect to win this game. And then as the game went on and on, with like five minutes to go, you're like, damn, we we can win this game. And yeah, I mean, I just remember driving back, you know, in a cab back from Brooklyn after yeah. that game, watching it at a bar in Brooklyn. And I was like, this yeah, team. Know, I had gone to the games at Syracuse in 2008 and nine that we lost. And I was thinking, I was there. Uh, I was there in 2008. Thinking back on the, the 2013 game, like, and I forget the attendance at both of the games I went to, I think they were both high twenties. And to think like that, those games I went to add like 7,000 more fans. Can you imagine going to that game and your team winning and leaving that arena and how cool that yeah. must have been? Well, and, and, and we shouldn't, when we're talking about the best road wins in the last 10 years, we also shouldn't leave out JT3's first win at the Dome where Chris Wright broke the zone. That was a hell of a win, too. Yeah. yeah. So, can, can I, so, so this is this is sort of a, it'll eventually be a segue into like when we do the final four episode, but in your in your mind, um, what is, in the last 15 years or so, what has been the worst week in Georgetown basketball history, the worst, well, the worst so, week. Because I've got, because because in my mind, there's like it's gotta be four options here. It's got to be What's 2013. That? It has to so be 2013. I mean, that, 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 so that's 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 one of the four. Because you know we go from <laughs> losing to Syracuse in the biggest tournament to losing to Florida Gulf Coast. Uh, I, will there, I will throw in there. I will throw in there. In the middle, selection the selection Sunday was during Nerlens Noel's official visit. <laughs> it was. It was, yeah. 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 So I mean, going, so, yes, so, well, com- so compare that versus 2010, where we lose to West yeah. Virginia in the biggest tournament and then lose to Ohio the following week. That is a um, or, or <laughs> In the same week. And then, well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. We're going to talk about this later. So it's like the, the merits of, of these of these losses. But yeah. the only other two, like, weeks that come to mind, um, there's there's the week in Maui when you when the wheels started coming off the wagon for for the program in JT3's last year so after we after we beat Oregon just those like the brutal losses at you know to Oklahoma State and to Wisconsin and then I you know we had just more injury news that week I mean that was yeah. just it was just a devastating week for the program yeah um, I, 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 tr- then, I tried to and then the week it. <laughs> right uh and the Hoya Hoop Club appreciates those tweets. Uh and then the and then the following and then just, just last year, the week of all the defections and terribleness. Yeah, it's not a great one, I guess. Plus we lost to Greensboro. That was certainly a bad one last week last year. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if you're if you're I mean, confining it to a oh, I'd have to think a little bit more about it, but I think you've got the right one. I guess you've got the right list here. Um you know, if you go back to the Eshrick era I'd have to go back and do the research to see what is confined to like the same week. But there is a period, I think it's in the, it's in the 2002, three season. And I want to say it's like in February of three, maybe where there are like, it's like a run of like four four or five or six games in a row where there's a couple, like the, there's, there's like a couple, there's a couple losses, like overtime losses. 
there's definitely a lost the pit that I've actually seen the ending of on YouTube where it's like just like the lightest touch foul for no reason. Is it on uh, Bowman? No, I, I want to like... say I want to say it was Drew Hall, but I might be wrong. Um, then maybe maybe uh, Bowman is involved, in, like missing like a free throw at the end. I feel like Bowman did did uh, something. I've, there. I've definitely I've written about this before a lot. I've, I've tweeted about this before, and I've definitely written about it on Hoya Talk before. So I need to go back and like go like I'll, I'll tweet about it like tomorrow. Like go back through um, the succession of games. But this was over like a period of like three weeks or so. Like I, I, there were some games in there like that might have been in the same week, but like that might take the like for bang for the buck like the five or six game stretch there, but. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like there, there's there's also yeah, like in in 2011. So just going from like the one week where Chris Wright breaks his wrist, and then the following week we lose Senior Day to Syracuse. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was that was also like the we'll, we'll Austin Austin's with. final game. I mean, that was tough. I mean, karma, 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 or like, you know, predestination. If you see on your schedule, you're playing Cincinnati twice in like two weekends, like you're probably going to prepare yourself for disaster, but yeah, you couldn't have envisioned that. Yeah. uh, You know, I think, I I think think in like a week, I think in like a week tenure or like in like a week span, I want to say like LJ peaks that he was going pro and then um, waters decommitted, which I think led to JT three getting, getting ousted. Right. Isn't that kind of like, (laughs) I mean, no. Well, there I needs think to be like... there needs to be an oral history of the entire last semester of JT 3s tenure that we can just unpack all the crazy things that happened. Um, but yes, it's crazy though because Georgetown hasn't had a guard drafted since 1996. I think we all know the fellow's name. And Tremont Waters was on his way. He got drafted. I think he's like a. I think he goes back and forth between the NBA and the G League, but like. They came that close to getting another NBA guard, and it all fell apart. Well, you think you he would have been drafted if you went to Georgetown? Yeah. I'm just—I mean, I'm saying it tongue—I'm saying it tongue in cheek because uh, of, of you know of everything I'm hearing on Dog Talk. But 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 yeah, <laughs> I I agree. I mean that that that's the that was tough. That that was that was really tough. And I know we're all, I, you know, I, I didn't want to see JT3 fired. And I was just sort of like the one thing he, that's been missing in, in that, you know, the previous few years was the lack of a true point guard. So when, when the offense breaks down, you have somebody to do something with the ball. And having also, someone like yeah. Tremont Waters who finally would have joined the team and then to have him leave uh, sucked. Hey, look, he's look he's, I'll, he's, I'll, say it, I'll say it a different way. I don't think... And look, there's plenty of, of examples of guys in the NBA overcoming bad college situations or bad coaching. Or I'm not saying JT3 is a bad coach. I don't think he was. But you know what I mean? And I don't think – this is no offense to anyone that's doing a podcast right now whatever. I really don't think that there was an NBA guard that showed up to Georgetown that did not make the league because they went to Georgetown. Yeah. I, really, I, re- I really don't think so. It's that's a tough one. It's a tough one. Yeah. So. I mean, you can be you you can be really good and not make the NBA. Like, we're not talking about like you know making like, you know. I mean, it's really hard to make the NBA. Like, that's why it's the NBA, right? And I don't think from 
you know, just all the factors that kind of go into being an NBA player, I really, I really don't think that there was someone, you know, and certain people were ranked in certain, you know, in certain levels, you know, coming out of high school and stuff like that. And there's guys from Georgetown that came close. I mean, you know, if you think Hollis Thompson's a guard, he played a decent amount. I think he's more of like a wing player. Right. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I don't, you know, I think you could be really good and not make the NBA. Like, you know, it's, it's not that, that this, it's not really a knock in my opinion to say, to, you know, to say that I'm not saying that there weren't good players that came through Georgetown, but I really don't think that, I don't, I don't, I don't think that that happened, but whatever, that was just my, that was my, my trying to find a different week just so we weren't agreeing all, all the same weeks. <laughs> Look, get the band back together. Hollis Thompson, <laughs> Jay Wright, Philadelphia. Let's go. Let's go. Well, guys, I want to thank you for joining me in the auxiliary Kente corner studios. Um, if you guys, you know, um, you're listening. Thanks so much. Subscribe rate us um howie's not on twitter so you cannot find him on twitter you can find john he's at florida hoya i'm at bobby bancroft and we'll see you soon hey guys i hate your truck so much bobby i can tell i can tell (laughs) all right see you guys